This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. Today, we're diving into the topic of employing someone recovering from a mental illness. So gaining employment can improve their mental health. But the discrimination against people with mental illnesses means it may be difficult for them to find any work at all. So my guests today, they are from Mindset, a mental health charity of the Jardin Medicine Group in Singapore. Mindset wants to change attitudes and the negative perceptions of mental health. One of the things they do is to help mental health persons in recovery find jobs as a way to reintegrate back into society. The CEO is Jeffrey Tan, who's also the Group General Counsel and the Chief Sustainability Officer of Jardin Cycle and Carriage, which is under the Jardin Medicine Group, and Colleen Chua is the Head of Mindset. Hi, Jeffrey and Colleen. Welcome to Health Check. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Joyce. So I'm interested to find out more about how Mindset helps uh, mental health persons in recovery find jobs. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Maybe just a little bit of background in terms of uh, Mindset itself. So that's a registered charity of the Jardin Madison Group here in Singapore. And we've been here since 2011. We had looked to make an impact in the community and mental health was an area that was underserved at that point in time. Of course, one of the silver linings coming out of COVID over the last two, three years is that mental health has come to the forefront. It is a topic that is much better understood today than it was uh, 12 years ago. Right. So when did uh, Mindset start this, you know, the role of helping these people find jobs? Uh, This is really right from the beginning in 2011 to now. So one of the interesting things, of course, is that when you raise awareness around mental health, you oftentimes then come up against the issue of stigma because mental health does have a lot of stereotypical assumptions that people have about someone who is struggling with or coping with mental health issues. And then, of course, the question is that when they do recover, how do you sort of bring them back into the community? And one large part of it, of course, is in terms of finding employment. And oftentimes, that is easier said than done because it is a whole of village process in terms of getting leadership within organizations to, yes, say, we will employ persons with mental health issues. And then to be able to get line managers to get peers and colleagues accepting somebody who has got a mental health challenge back into the workforce. Colleen, maybe you want to be able to share some of your background as well. I'm trained in social work, so in undergrad I did social work. And I think I've joined Mindset since 2012. And like what you say, Joyce, one of the main initiatives that we have here in Jardins and Mindset is really placements. So how do we then really, you know, welcome persons in recovery back to the workplace? That's one big question. And again, it's not just employee volunteers. So Jardins make use of our business resources to do the placements. So we open up job opportunities. We also provide trainings to our hiring managers, HRs, you know, senior managers to understand what is the whole ecosystem in having persons in recovery back to the workplace so that we sort of provide a buffer but not bubble our persons in recovery and clients back. Right. So how many have you helped? So far, we have 266 placements within Jardins over the past 12 years. But that being said, we also have a flagship project with the Singapore Association for Mental Health, which is Mindset Learning Hub. This project has already reached out to 437 placements. So we have provided, you know, across all these projects that we have, almost 600 placements and opportunities. I see. So what kind of jobs are these? Do they include professional jobs? 
Um, I think there's a whole spectrum. When you talk about within the Jardine Madison group itself, you would have you know, cold storage, dairy farm, banners. So everyone from back of uh, the room in terms of, of uh, you know, warehouse type logistics related jobs to front end in terms of running the 7-Eleven store itself. And then, of course, within our car business, cycle and carriage, we've had people who have been involved in administration uh, over the years. And if you didn't sort of ask the question, you know, did you have a mental health challenge, you wouldn't be aware of it. Which, again, I, I guess brings us to this whole topic of, is there a barrier in terms of getting people who have got mental health challenges back into the workforce? And I think until 2020, we did, because when you made an application for a job, there will be two questions that will be asked of you. Do you have a criminal record? And then the second is, do you have a mental health issue? Now, fortunately, with a lot of lobbying and enlightened uh, partners, we have been able to work with the Tripartite Alliance for fair and reasonable employment to get that second question removed because it has got no relevance a- at all. Well, that's a good thing, actually. But what's the biggest challenge when you start something like that? You know, you mentioned you've got to get everybody spying in, right? I, I guess it's, it's leading a movement. And when we started off on this journey 12 years ago in Singapore, it's pretty lonely because you're talking about something that people may or may not understand. And when they do sort of ask themselves, do I want to be associated with it because there's a stigma issue? Are there easier things to get involved with to make an impact in the community? And I think one thing that we need to recognise is that many of these persons in recovery, they may be out of the workforce for many years, some even up to decades, or some have not been employed at all. If you view it from a business angle, it's easy for companies to focus probably on profits first. In layman's perspective, how do they create an additional headcount and provide resources around the headcount to ensure success of this placement? So it's difficult to encourage or nudge companies to do this as a journey or to support the community. But I think over the course of COVID and also people recognising that mental health and caring for themselves is important and as well as how do they elevate the community. I think more and more corporates are allowing themselves to put more resources into this space and looking at our eye really differently. So it's not just about putting in extra resources to support this, but how does this really translate into their own employees' well-being? How does this translate into emotional understanding and awareness uh, of the people around them and within the culture of the, the corporations themselves? You said you work with others, so you work with the association. I mean, they don't come knocking, right? So we've invested close to $10 million in the mental health sector itself. So we, we talked about bringing persons in recovery back into the workforce. We've done that in a flagship project with the Singapore Association of Mental Health. We funded it for five years with a $2 million commitment to kick off this particular program itself. We still are associated with it in terms of funding it, but in, in a smaller amounts. But we've also, over that five years, we've had the involvement of what we call the Jardine Ambassadors. So like, for example, with the Mindset Learning Hub, with Singapore Association of Mental Health, everything from doing webinars or in-person seminars in how do you write your CV? How do you prepare and go through an interview process? And when you do get that, how do you get the support from a group 
as you start and journey in the job that you've been able to get employed in? Because these are all things that people often don't think about, you know, because it's also talking about this to employees, employers who are willing to accept and offer vacancies, which is probably sometimes can be quite challenging because why do I want to open up a vacancy to somebody who may have a mental health issue? This is a process of a dialogue, of an awareness, of an understanding. And then oftentimes it's gathering employers who have done this before to share their experiences with newer ones to say, actually, this is no different than employing anybody else that doesn't have a mental health issue. Yes, I think one of the things that we always take for granted is that, okay, no matter how tired we are, we will just wake up at, you know, 6.30, drag ourselves out of bed even if we are really tired and exhausted and head to office, right? But I think for these persons in recovery, they have a totally different set of challenges. May it be on medications and side effects or it's because of the condition that really drains them out. They can be lethargic or lack of energy and getting out of bed can be a total challenge. So how do we then, with that in mind, try to persuade and get a person ready for recovery, say if he or she has not been in the workplace for 10 years. So that's a total life changer. So I think we work very closely with our mental health partners and occupational therapists to make sure that these clients are prepared for the workforce, their mindset, you know, their physical condition and all of that to be ready for even putting in an application. The persons in recovery still have to come to us to go through the usual applications like going through HR interviews, you know, it can be going through rounds and if they get rejected, sometimes they would feel pretty upset. So how do we then again work with case workers in um, Mindset Learning Hub to address these concerns and speak with clients to make sure that they are their feelings are acknowledged. So then um, proceeding from there, we also have to speak with our employers on the other hand to make sure that, again, they understand these challenges. And once clients are placed, we don't necessarily have to put them in full-time placements. They could start with flexible work arrangements, for example, three days or even half a day for five days before they transit to a full-time when they are ready. So in the case of clients, say, facing stress or issues at work, is there a body system to support? Is there a line manager they can go to to talk about this? And that being said, we also have our HRs and also Jardin ambassadors if the placements are within Jardins to make sure that there's someone whom, say during crisis, that we can turn to and be a first line of support. And also the caseworkers would be with clients and also Jardin ambassadors, line managers, HRs throughout the whole placements of the clients. And after the placements, if we talk about placements that's within three to six months, how do we then provide testimonials as employers for these clients to boost up their resume and hopefully after that find open market employment? Oh, okay. So after that, like, it's up to them. Yes. Right. Seems to have a lot of support. So what's the, the biggest fear, I mean, when it comes to the employers? So, you know, when you want to persuade them. I guess it's trying to sort of address the questions they have in terms of the unknown territory. Because there's this big assumption that if I'm hiring somebody who is normal, whatever that means, versus somebody who has got a mental health challenge, what are some of the things that I need to be one be aware of? And how do I respond to situations which I may or may not be aware of in terms of the best way of, of responding? So Colleen had mentioned uh, medication. So the flexibility of a job vacancy in terms of when is the start time, when is the end time, that flexibility obviously needs to be heightened. 
But I think the good news is that with COVID and the flexible work arrangements that we have these days, that flexibility is better received and accepted from an employer standpoint. Uh, as opposed to, I think, pre-COVID, people sort of say, oh, you mean you can't start till 10? Why? Everybody's starting at 9 without recognizing that maybe some physiological challenges because of medication that uh, mental health persons in recovery are managing. And then, you know, probably more frequent breaks uh, in terms of how to sort of manage the stress that comes with the job. And to be able to have, as Colleen had mentioned, is there a supervisor that is well-trained to be able to recognize some of the signs, to be able to say, you know, so-and-so, maybe you want to take a break, have some time, be able to de-stress, as it were. But again, if you look at it in a broader context, it's no different than how you would relate to somebody who doesn't have a mental health challenge. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with the CEO of Mindset, Jeffrey Tan, and the head of Mindset, Colleen Chua. You know, like listening to you, you're saying that you have all these teams that are there to support this mental health person's recovery, right? So maybe it should be for everybody. I mean, we all have mental health then it won't be so difficult, maybe. Yes, exactly. May I also add, because when you ask what, what are some of the fears that employers face, right? I think it's because sometimes employers hear so much the negative news or negative stories of failed placements or being on the job of persons with mental health conditions. They naturally have this unknown or fear if they have never come into contact with any persons in mental health conditions. Secondly, if they do you know, master their courage and have placements or job opportunities available, do they have to expand a lot of their business resource to do that? And question three, if everything goes well, fine and smooth, all green, perfect, no issues. But if one day, you know, the clients have, say, a relapse or respond to a situation in a way that we are not expecting them to be, say, breakdowns or, you know, crying issues or probably just raising of voice, which honestly anyone can do that. But how do employers then view that? Would that? perception be very different from, you know, oh, a client reacts this way versus someone without mental health condition reacting in the same situation, but the label is already there, perhaps. And also, last but not least, again, there's also that issue of maybe absenteeism. So we do also have cases where our persons in recovery clients are absent from work, and definitely that is not right. But again, there are issues that they are facing. Some companies who are really understanding, they take time, line managers would call, they would get in contact with persons in recovery. But that being said, some line managers do not at all. And just within the first half an hour, they'll just say, oh, it is a wall, right? Again, um, how do we then do that? So I think one of the big things I personally would feel that is important would be the power of media, perhaps. You know, sometimes we see news articles, we see that this person is taken away for mental health assessment. Does this person get taken away for diabetes assessment? No. So I think a lot of things that can be shared further and the awareness could be really raised if the right messages are shared. That's true. Crime cases you're referring to. (laughs) (laughs) Especially crime cases. So so labels sometimes are not very useful. And we run away with stereotypical impressions that are not grounded in the reality and the facts. Right. 
I think it's awareness, yeah. And just getting to know them, I guess. Yeah. I feel we're all the same anyway. So, you know, talking about this, that's quite interesting. Actually, I wanted to talk about the mental conditions because we haven't spoken about that, right? So these people in recovery, they're in the recovery process. So it will be conditions like schizophrenia, uh, bipolar disorder, bipolar, depression. depression, anxiety, yeah. And I think there's a spectrum, right? I mean, it's quite different. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And we do this with occupational therapists to be able, and, and psychologists to be able to assess when the individuals with their conditions are ready to be reintegrated back into the workforce. So you, you can't sort of say, oh, you know, you've reached X number of months in your recovery process and you just have to be able to get you back into the workforce. It may work for some, but it may take a longer time for others. And, and so it really has to be individualized in, in, in that sense. Yes, I agree. I think mental illness by itself is a very large term. Mental illness comprises of so many illnesses and a whole spectrum like what you said, Joyce. You can have mild depression, but you can also have someone who has been diagnosed with clinical depression and severe ones over a prolonged period of time, you know, up to years. And just every day has been such a challenge for the person to even get out of bed. But mild depression, I think everybody goes through mild depressions or feeling moments of sadness. And that's not equal to clinical depression. So how do we then deal with every single person's condition differently uh, and really understanding the different conditions and their signs and symptoms and how clients react. So this is really a whole huge topic by itself. Uh, I've been in the sector for over 15 years. I can't say I understand 100% of it. You know, it's just really scraping the surface. We still get different cases and different uh, clients with different emotions, signs, symptoms every single day. So when we interact with them, we have to have initiatives and activities for them that is pretty much tailor-made. I mean, yeah, I suppose I just want to get to, because, you know, when we talk about this mental health persons in recovery and you mentioned helping them write their CV, they may be out of the job market for a while, right? But how about those people who are, uh, maybe they have mild anxiety, mild depression, you know, not so, they, they don't need help with CVs, right? So, and then there's still stigma anyway, right? Well, in Singapore, at least, you might not get a job if you tell people you have a mental illness, right? I mean, so, so what's your advice? I, I guess it's a work in progress in terms of organizations reaching a point of providing a safe environment where on all accounts an individual who applies for a role is able to function and produce all of the requirements of the job itself and then to be able to be feeling safe enough to have a discussion with their supervisor to say that actually today I'm not feeling so good, there are these things, can I be able to have some time off to be able to deal with that? And I think if one were to sort of look at this from the position of if I have, I don't know, flu, uh, physical illness, and if I said I needed the day off, would you as my employer ding me for that and put a little mark to say, oh, why is Jeffrey you know, taking the day off for this physical illness? I think the same approach can be used for mental health challenges as well. And that, I think, makes this whole area a lot more open, transparent, and acceptable. I agree with you, but I think that's really difficult. It, it, it's, it's not easy, but I, I think, you know, with the right partners and employers who have got an enlightened view, I, I think this is something that, you know, we can all collectively move the needle. Right. And then also when it comes to mental illness, if you have a physical illness, the symptoms are there, you can even get a, a medical report. 
But for a mental illness, even if you tell somebody, I can't see, right? I can't tell. So as an employer, that's going to be tricky. Yeah. So it comes down in terms of what is that relationship that you have with your employer, right? Is it one of trust, of empowerment, of acceptance? Because even on so-called physical illnesses, people can be able to use it as a way of malingering, if that's what you're, you're sort of thinking of. So I think at the end of the day, it's again, how does an organization and management approach this with an open and enlightened view. So Jeffrey, you've spoken about, you know, senior management, the need for them to advocate for mental health, right? Tell us more about it and actually what can they do? Do you think that um, leaders should talk openly about their own psychological struggles? I think that that's the asset test, right? If a leader is trying to set the tone and on the one hand try and appear to be a superman or a wonder woman with no problems at all in, in, in the mental health space, I, I think that's being quite unrealistic. But how do you sort of share that openly and in what audience and with what objective? I, I think it's a question of being open to look human and be human because just because you're a leader in an organization or you're in management doesn't exempt you from these challenges. And, and to be able to talk about it openly I think creates a safe space for others to sort of say, oh, Jeffrey has this struggles and he's talking about it. And it sort of encourages people to sort of put their guard down and say, maybe I can talk about my own struggles as well. Of course, the audience needs to be receptive and you need to be, I guess, judicious in terms of how you share this and in what sort of an audience to how large a group. These are all steps that can be taken, and I think leaders can be able to encourage that by showing their vulnerabilities in this regard. Yes, and I think sometimes it can be as easy as a simple question of, how are you today? Yeah. You know, something as simple, but you can generate a lot of responses from that. And if you ask enough, how are you today? I'm sure one fine day you will get a response of, nah, I'm just not good today. You know, and you can really pull out the emotions from someone and really get to understand your stuff. So that understanding, again, builds the rapport and the safe space for your employees to talk to you about their feelings, about their challenges. And I think it's really important now that, you know, post-COVID, um, the world is having blurred lines between work and personal space. So how do we then encourage work-life balance and also ensure that your employees are not suffering from burnout? And if they do, how do you then support them as necessary? You know, give them time off, give them that work rededication, you know, and provide them with a space to recover from how they're feeling before they get back to productivity again. Because if not, the productivity is just going to get lower and lower and eventually not work out for either parties. That's true. Well, that's kind of like a scary question in a way, right? <laughs> You've got to be prepared to do <laughs> quite a lot of stuff. It is true. So, so I think also that being said, trainings for line managers are also important and really understand how to react because if you are not prepared to face the answer for the questions, then how are you going to address it in, in the first place? Yes. All right, interesting. So, Jeffrey, have you talked about your own struggles? Uh, to small groups, yes. So I'm I'm not Superman. <laughs> I I do have struggles, uh, and and I think this is the part where, again, as I said, you need to identify your audience, and, and you need to be able to be open and transparent about it. If with your teams, in terms of what are the things that you are facing, to be able to give them, I guess, that 
openness and assurance that this will not be, and I hate to say this, used against them in any way, but to be able to share about it openly. Right. Did you feel vulnerable? Uh, yes, because, you know, that's part and parcel of a safe space, right? You can't go into a discussion like this with your mask still on. You need to be able to take it off. And when you take it off, you need to be prepared that people don't sort of say, oh, wow, didn't think that he looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just being human. Yep, authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, that works. I was just going to say that, you know, and, and this might come off as, as a marketing spiel, but it's not. But I, I think there are, there are three A's in, in, in the mental health space as all of us who are focusing on this. You know, one is, of course, the awareness. And then, you know, what do you do with the awareness? You need to be able to lead you to some degree of acceptance. And then I think finally, the asset test is in terms of assimilating people back into the community. That is probably the hardest, but until we can be able to get the first two right, the third of assimilating and integrating people back into the larger community uh, remains out there. And I think this requires all of us to play a role in it. Yeah, that that would be wonderful for the persons in recovery and for society in general, for every one of us. Right. I'd just like to add my view would be when I first started in Mindset, when I asked our employee volunteers if anyone around them has mental health conditions, my, most of my employee volunteers would say no. But that being said, over the course of 10 years now when I interact with my Jardin ambassadors, most of them would say, I know of someone who has a mental health condition or challenge. It's so real now. And I think uh, to all listeners out there, I hope that everyone would take a step to really understand um, what mental health is, what mental illness is, and really look into yourself and provide yourself with the right self-care. Because without self-care, um, there's no health within yourself and you can't take a next step to care for anyone around you. So please make sure that you care for yourself. And also, thanks for having us. You're welcome. Thanks for your time and your insights. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Joyce. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Streets Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.